The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu. Hello, welcome to Ask Alex episode 192 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by americascardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from americascardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes or on the oneouter.com website and via iTunes for free. you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at oneouter.com, or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, we are recording Tuesday because it's my birthday on Thursday. So I refuse to spend an hour with you on my birthday, even <laughs> with Skype. So, um, yeah, we're here on Tuesday, so that's kind of thrown me um, when you just naturally think what day it is. But nevertheless, good to have you here. Glad that you could join us. We've got loads of questions for you. But what have you been up to since Thursday we spoke? Matt, also thank you guys for having me here, and thank you to everybody listening. I know your time is very valuable these days because... It sure seems like every time you turn on Facebook or Twitter or your email, it seems like somebody's competing for your time, right? You ever get that feeling, Barry? Yeah, everywhere. It's, a, it's amazing. Well, even in New York, you're just walking down the street. People want your time for random stuff. You want to come into this shop? Like, no, not really. I'm walking to the subway uh, to go to the gym. But, oh, you sure? It's like, I, I don't think you just heard me. But, yeah. Things are going good here. I'm at a loss to say exactly what I've done since last Thursday. Uh, Over the Labor Day weekend, I took my girlfriend to the Met. They had a fashion exhibit, which she really liked, and it happened to be next to the very nerdy Byzantine art, which I'm into. Walked through Central Park. Had a good time. Not a whole lot else other to report. Love, still love my job. Still working quite a bit. Uh, got a lot of stuff to do this week. Pretty excited to. It sounds ridiculous and very Gary V-ish, but I actually am pretty excited to be here. I am authentically excited to start work because what the weekend's really good for is just giving you an outside perspective because. When you're inside the problems for so long, it's so hard to look at it from the outside again. And when you get a couple of days to hang out, watch college football, whatnot, then you can see things from a different angle. And then I have a bunch of new angles that I want to work on uh, in, in my job. And it was really nice to get... Here, actually, this is the start of my work day is right now, so I'm actually pretty excited to be back at work because 
I like my job. I like being able to do something that's very definitively me. It's something I enjoy talking about poker, and it's nice making money from it. And I like the feeling of being able to change my life. I was going to say my destiny, but that sounded really cheesy. My, it, You can change a lot in your life if you can change your career, your job, your income level. And I feel like more than ever before, that's really in my control. I feel like I'm around the right people. I feel like I have the right ideas right now. It's going to take a lot more work to get to where I want to be, but I feel like it's much more in my grasp than it used to be. So very happy to be showing up at work today. Very happy to be speaking to you, Barry, even if uh, even if I'm not invited to your birthday party. <laughs> Yeah, no, Mom, I don't want Alex there. <laughs> <laughs> He's a uh, Yeah, no, um, it's weird. I, you know, I kind of forget because you jump around all the place that you're actually in New York still sometimes, um, just with your mansion in Central Park and stuff there. And I was on, I think it was the other night, YouTube, and I think everyone's done this. You're watching some music video or something else or some clip or trailer, and then a few videos later, you end up at 9-11 conspiracy theories. And, um, I was watching some, like, just this video, like, 9-11, and you just forget. Like, I don't want to go on a big tangent here about 9-11 and whatever, you know. But just with you staying there, and, you know, obviously it's September now, and it's approaching, that's, like, 17 years ago. It's so weird for me still watching it, because... It actually happened the day that I started university. I literally went down, registered for university, and left. Walked, uh, started to walk home, popped into my friend's shop, who had like a collectible shop, and he said, oh, planes just hit the World Trade Center. And I just thought it was, you know, some little micro-light uh, sightseeing thing, you know, and it being an accident. Even that, I was like, wow, God, that's terrible, you know get up the road, see the building burning, and then saw the second plane hit, you know, live on TV. So, and it's just really weird watching it now. It's like some sort of film. Or, I just, I don't know why I'm even talking, but it just, I find it hard to even fathom that that happens still. You know, it's weird. I mean, have you been to the memorial and stuff while you've been in New York there? I, by the way, everybody listening, we do talk about poker quite a bit, and we recognize this is a bit of escapism, but part of One Outer is we do go off on these tangents, and cutting off a 9-11 remembrance tangent seems like the height of evil. So uh, thank you for your patience with Barry and I. But now, the first time I came here when I was 19, I felt like as an American I had to go to ground zero. I went, I looked at it, to be honest with you, what really got to me was, I'll never forget that day. I was in, uh, I want to say I was in high school, and they were just playing it on the TV. And when you first saw the buildings, it just, I guess because we've been so desensitized by movies, it didn't really occur to me what was going on. And then what really got to me is I saw this grown man, like, had the, I don't know how to put this, but he had the composition and makeup and look of just a very tough New York guy. And that stereotype is a stereotype for a reason. The guys here are very tough. They've 
grown up in the inner city their whole life, you're just not going to get one over on them. They're fast talkers and they're really quick thinkers. And I saw this guy just start bawling. And that was something I'd never seen in a movie before. And that was when it hit me, oh my God, this is real. And yeah, I went to, I went to Ground Zero when I, when I first came here when I was younger. The thing that really weirds me out is, when I was living in Newark, I I lived there because it was so cheap. Because there was a path, the path train. You just I go down the street. I could walk to Newark Penn, and then I could get what's called the path train, and that'll just take you across the water right into Manhattan. And then it's like it's like you live, you know, it's a ten twenty minute train ride. I, I if it would be twenty minutes, I'd be surprised, but. The weird thing was it pops up in One World Trade. It pops up right where that was. And it's like nothing ever happened. It's just fine now. And it's so weird popping up there every day. And I've gone, I've eaten at the restaurant at the top of uh, One World Trade. And it's just bizarre to think a plane hit the building that used to be right next to this. Mm-hmm. And you look out at the skyline, and you imagine whatever it was, a 747 jet, whatever it was, just coming through the air, and that being what you saw, oh boy, that's, that is terrifying. And there's some things I've learned about that day since then. I'm not even going to tell you how to find this out, because it's just so disturbing. Uh, and... There, there's a lot of stuff they never really reported, and I don't mean the conspiracy theory or any of that. I'm talking about stuff the news never wanted to run because it was just so disturbing and sad. And it just the weirdest thing being in New York is talking to people that were here when that happened, and they say things like, well, what was the one guy was telling me he went to a parking lot. He worked really na- late, like two weeks later. And just all these things you never think of. He was working really late on a project because his job didn't stop. He had an international job. And he came out at three in the morning, right? Mm-hmm. And he looked across the parking lot. And he's, he'd worked a lot of those late nights before. And his car was the only car in that parking lot. Or there'd be like three people who left their car overnight and went home with their spouse or whatever it was. And he said he went out, and this was in New Jersey, and there were 28 cars there. And it it took him a second to realize, oh, these people parked here because it was a place to park, and then you could catch the train right next to it and then go down. And they were at a meeting with the World Trade Center or something. They're not coming back. And th- things like that, just you would never think of. And yeah, it's uh, being here. It's very. Uh, it, it's not something people like to talk about, but it, it is. It is strange just being so close to it. What was I guess? It was the greatest terrorist attack in American history. That one of, I guess, the most vivid thing in all of our recollection of the last seventy years. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I don't want to put a downer on it or as you would call it but I just think you know it is September I was watching it it's 
it's important. Yeah, you got the point. It's important people remember that I think because especially guys like my age and you're you know you're three or four years younger than me, it kind of defined the world. Not you know there's world pre nine eleven and then post nine eleven and yeah. so much of what we experience now and live and you know uh, some fear and threats and you know some of it justified, some of it unjustified probably and some actions by governments justify and again some not justified and it's just like it's just weird you just kind of like you know life goes on and that's great that it does but when you watch a youtube video and some of them ones you've not seen like perspective and stuff and just like you say just imagine stuff. i mean like it's horrible and you know um yeah it's, it's horrible and rest in peace and you know i hope people who have lost people on that day are like starting to find some sort of um, normality of life, you know, as best as they can. I mean, it's just crazy, like you say, like some of the stories and things. Anyway, um, let's let's do try and you know like move on and keep it upbeat now. <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've opened with nine eleven, and that was my fault. Um, okay, uh, let's get to Alex's uh, service of answering questions for people. Um, yeah. That's usually more uh, enjoyable. <laughs> um, uh, right okay let's go our first question we promised them we would do this one on the next show because we wanted to give them proper time and placement it is our regular listener Monsieur Aaron Lapointe and uh, Aaron writes in hey guys okay I have a question I haven't asked because I'm not sure if it's great for the podcast but I'll give it a whirl I have a question about constructing and analysing bluff ranges, and to make it easier, I'll say river bluffs. First, how do I go about constructing a river bluff range if we have a given board that we are triple barreling with? For argument's sake, we will only bluff with one exact hand, ace of spades, king of spades, on a spade-spade flop board that didn't get there on the river. How do I work backwards to incorporate the proper amount of bluffs in a given spot? Mathematically speaking, not player dependent. Second, how does bet sizing impact this bluff range? So, for instance, if I am betting two big blinds into 12 big blind pot, I can obviously bluff more frequently. Should we be incorporating different bluff ranges per bet size? Thanks, guys. Hey, Aaron. This is a really good question. I'm going to preface this by saying... I would not be the best guy to discuss theoretically correct poker. The guy who I literally just last week, actually throughout the weekend, I was rereading this book because I'm working on some materials and just as if you were a medical professional, you'd have to keep up with the journals if you're going to make info products for poker players, it damn well better work. Otherwise, they shouldn't be giving you their money. So something I like to do is always refresh myself with Matthew Jonda's theoretical constructs just to make sure everything I say, I, I put down in writing, holds water. His applications of No Limit Hold'em would be a fantastic course on this. Ed Miller I can't speak to nearly as much because I, I just... I'm a Matthew John a fanboy. I, I haven't spent as much time with Ed Miller. But Ed Miller wrote some articles I read are just passages that I've read in his books where I went, oh, yeah, this guy gets it. 
the way it works, the way it works, theoretically, let's say what you want your opponent to do is to be indifferent to calling. If you have made the player indifferent to calling, that means if they waver in either direction, like they call too much or they fold too much, they've made a mistake. That's game theory optimal poker. So how bet size would reflect this, uh, let's see, like the typical ratio is you're supposed to go two bluffs to one value hand on the flop. You're supposed to go one value bet to one uh, bluff on the turn. And then it's supposed to go two value bets to one uh, one bluff bet on the river. Uh, that's with the half pot size means, if I'm remembering correctly enough. But I, I'm going to take this in the direction that, because I, I'm just going to let you know, if you want me to tell you perfect ranging, Matthew John is going to do a much better job at that. What is very interesting to me, and No Limit Hold'em, is what we have this thing where people go, but it's a stupid idea. Well, I don't really care if it's a stupid idea if it works. So let, let's talk about, okay, if you're constructing a bluffing range, uh, if you're constructing a bluffing range, you were talking about two big blinds into 12. Well, yes, you can have quite a few bluffs in that. But theoretically, yeah, you could have quite a few bluffs because two, uh, you'd be risking two big blinds to win 14 big blinds, which would mean it needs to work one-seventh of the time. So if you got caught there... Six-sevenths of the time, you'd be breaking even, right? So there you go. So you could be, you could be bluffing quite, quite often there. The problem being, have you ever seen anybody bet two big blinds in the 12 and fold? Have you ever seen that, Barry? No. No, it's, it's weird. Like, you try to think of it. I mean, I'm sure it's happened. I just, I'm having a hard time conjuring it in my head. And there's a big thing to me, what, what I really want to direct you to, Aaron, is I don't think you're in the games where theoretically correct poker is going to get you the money you want. Now, if you decide to play 2-4 no limit online, you are going to have to hit those books and you're going to have to hit them hard. If you're going to play 5-10 in Vegas... Godspeed, my man. Get these ranges right. That's why Ed Miller has been relevant since the dawn of time. But let's put it this way. Well, I'll tell you what I've experienced in my career, which was uh, when I was a high schooler, I, uh, I would not be what you would call a Rhodes Scholar. I was a partier in high school, to put it lightly. Uh, I really liked speed. I really liked anything that got me messed up. Uh, you know, in my teens, was full on in the pot and drinking. I uh, was really into metal concerts, uh, just banging around, whatever. Uh, 
you know, did stupid things like straight across soccer games and stuff like that. And poker was just another thing I goofed off with. It was like, don't get me wrong, I wanted to be a pro, but I was not... It was kind of like poker was what I liked to do while I was listening to metal, and it was just like playing cards in a back room, you know what I mean? And I didn't really see it as this highfalutin thing. And to be honest with you, I never really have seen it that way. And I was friends with a guy there who was a hundred times smarter than me. This kid was on the way to the Ivy League, and I learned a lot just playing with him. He was... There was a couple guys that could always kick my ass, and he was one of them. And uh, he was a really good guy. Uh, his dad was really nice to rent me a room when I wasn't doing that well. And But one of the things that always would confound him would go, why do people pay you off? It's so obvious to me what you have. And I went, yeah, but I'm not – I didn't say this at the time, but I'd say I'm not playing against him, Right? <laughs> I'm playing against, I, I, excuse me, I'm not playing against you. I'm playing against him, right? And you have to ask yourself, what is this specific guy going to do? So you wanted to talk about bet size. Let me give you my two cents, okay? When you're bluffing and it's versus a guy you never think you're going to see again, big bets are king. Because you think about it. If you bet a third of the pot, technically, it needs to work 25% of the time. And it seems, theoretically, at least like 35% of the time, the guy's going to sit there and go, oh, my God, he's obviously value betting. My third pair is not good. I'm going to fold here. But that's theoretically what should happen. What actually happens, Barry? Does anybody fold to a one-third pot size bet on the river? Mm, hardly ever. Hardly, it's it's hard to see. Like, if you almost see it, it should be on a bingo card or something, right? Mm. Anyway, anyway, there's what theoretically comes out there and how people really react. And this is something I always have a hard time with my hyper-intelligent students. There was another guy I knew who was just, you know, he played concert piano. He spoke four languages fluently, really into fitness. A German guy I knew... And he'd kick high-stakes players' asses, but he would just get ruined at all these home games because he would do these, like, really small, subtle bets that, you know, if he's playing against me, it's really good because if you bet 40% of the pot on me on the river, I'm going to be sick because it's like, wow, you really want to call. And I'm going to be sitting there with top pair fourth kicker, and I'm going to really have a long think. But... The average guy, the guy I think you're playing with, Aaron, because most of us are about the same stakes here, which is most of us are not playing 1,000 buy-in, no limit, hold on, let's be honest here. Uh, the guys you're playing against, you got to think of this as like a fight because that's how most men are seeing it subconsciously. We like to act like we're more intelligent than we are as men and women, and we're really not. We were programmed to be hunter-gatherers. And for the 300,000 years that humans have been around, of 294,000 of them, we were hunter-gatherers. So your brain is this 5,000-year-old moist computer that has not been updated in a long time, and it is not suited for poker. And let me tell you what happens. 
if you bet really small on the river, and half pot counts as small to most of these guys, it's like a five foot seven pudgy white guy picking a fight at a bar. If you back down from that guy, what are your friends gonna say? If a five foot seven guy who looks like he couldn't lift a carton of milk says, "Hey, buddy, you want a piece of me?" and you go, "No, no, no, come on, man, no," nah. your buddies are gonna be like, "Come on, are you serious?" Get in the guy's face a little bit. Now, if he's six foot five and ripped and looks like he can rip a car in half, and he says, I want to fight with you, and you go, like, buddy, let me buy you a drink, are any of his friends going to say anything? Are any of your friends going to say anything? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Well, guess which one's the big bet and which one's the small bet? You bet very small. People see it as almost a taunt. Like, Look, look what a weakling you are. I think this bet is going to get you out. And everybody, remember, the call is the biggest free roll to what these guys want. Remember, 95% of these guys lose money at poker. So they're not playing for money. They're playing for something else. And what they're playing for is to feel good about themselves. And the way they do that is to call. Because if you call, it's the ultimate free roll to feel good about yourself. And if you bet 40% of the pot on the river, 50% of the pot on the river, most of the time, they're going to call because if they call and they're wrong, they'll just go, what was I going to do? What was I supposed to do? You know? And then usually when you bet the river, you have a really good hand or you have nothing. So if you show the really good hand, they just make up some BS about what they had. They really had third pair, no kicker, but they tell everyone, I had top pair. What was I supposed to do, right? And if you have nothing... Oh, here comes their, here comes their dopamine high. Oh my God, table the third, the third pair. Smug, sniff, sniff, snooty, sniff, sniff. Rake in that pot. Three dollars for the dealer. Right? Look at me. I'm a card player. I did something with my life. <laughs> Three dollars for the dealer. <laughs> Sorry. But here's the thing. Let me tell you something. I worked on making bigger bets for value. I have been trying to develop that pitch in my rotation for 10 damn years now. You know what the problem with it is, Barry? Nobody calls ever. Ever. You bet 70% or more of the pot, you get fooled all the time if you're in soft games. Because that's usually what happens is they get into a pattern, right? Which is they call a f flop bet because, hey, I got a pair. Usually if they don't have a pair, they fold. And then on the turn, they're like, I'm going to call. It's something like 73% of them call on the turn, like always, right? And then it's. I'm going to call and I'll reevaluate the river. Let me see if he shuts down, right? Let's see if he shuts down. And then on the river, the guy bets like 40% pot, and that's their rhythm. They're like, okay, I'll call and see. You know, deep sigh, social proof, social proof, social proof, deep sigh. Look, I didn't snap call it, so I'm not an idiot, right? That's why they get so mad at you when you value bet so thinly. Because you just made them look stupid. If you bet second pair and no kicker and they call and you table and they go, that, they do that look, right? 
Y'all know the exact look I'm talking about. They're mad because you just showed that they called with something worse, right? They expect a rhythm there, which is most people do not have the balls to bet the river with anything other than top pair, top kicker or better, right? So they actually, they're a little justified in calling the river if you bet something like half potish or something like that, right? And because a lot of times you're going to have bluffs there. They're not really justified, but they're close enough that it doesn't hurt that bad, right? I think you should edge really close to value bets. And if you are going to bluff, you should bluff on capped boards, right? And what I mean by capped boards is when the guy calls you on that board, he most likely has capped his range. So eight, eight of clubs, six of clubs, four of spades. When a guy calls you on that board, really hard for him to have a set without worrying about straight cards coming off. Really hard for him to call with an overpair without flush and straight cards coming off. A lot of stuff there. A lot of guys succumb to the temptation to just raise there. So that means when they call there, the best hand they have is an eight, right? So if you see on the turn, the turn brings the flush in, which he's not going to have 75% of the time. It brings in the straight, which he's not going to have 80% of the time. It brings in a jack, a queen, a king, which he's not going to have 75, 80% of the time. Sometimes even more than that. Now you got to go three barrels, right? That's usually, I think you should start ratcheting it up, right? And if you get caught, that's fine, because now you can do the big bets for value. If you get caught once, that's fine. By the way, another way you can get caught is if the guy figures it out somehow. Like, he can still fold on the river, and then you take your chips in, and then later on he says this stuff that I can never believe people tell you, which is like, you didn't have it there. I know you didn't have it there. And it's like, well, okay, I guess the next big bet's getting called. Now you can bust out the big bets for value, right? But, look, I'm going to tell you what I really think about this, Aaron. One, if you are looking for a poker coach who could pass as a brain surgeon, I'm not it, okay? You're going to look for Matthew Jonah, who might quite literally be looking. He, he will have... The, he is quite literally studying to be a doctor right now, okay? And if you are looking for the type of precision that I think you were originally asking for with this question, you got to go to Applications of No Limit Hold'em and his second book, which is, I think it's like Hold'em in Advanced Games or something like that. Those books are fantastic. I'd highly recommend them. Uh, and it's all about the perfect ranges and whatnot. Ed Miller also does a fantastic job of this. I want to say Split Suit has done a terrific job of this. However, the reason I can make a living playing this game whenever I want, just on the sidelines, is because there's what you want, and then I give you guys what you need. Because what does everybody need in poker? They got to stay in the game, right? They got to. If you can't win, you're not going to be playing poker very long. And I'm trying to teach you how to win. And I'll, I'll give you a great example of this as far as bet sizing, because it seemed like you were veering towards bet sizing. Uh, you can be totally face up. Now, if you make videos on YouTube about poker, you're going to have to balance. So I do balance, but I don't teach my students to do that. I'll give you an example of this. So let's say you raise from the small blind with 
offsuit, right? You're feeling spicy. Big blind calls. Or comes five of diamonds, four of diamonds, two of spades. You bet real small. Because you know he's not folding high cards anyway, so you want him to not feel that invested. So he'll fold a high card on the turn, right? You bet like one-third pot on the flop. He calls. Great. He's calling you with all his jack-tens, his jack-nine suited with the backdoor draws, king-eight suited with the backdoor draws, any gut shot, any ace-eye. He's calling all of it, right? Turns at 10, you just hit your hand. Now, you were originally going to bet half pot, just because that's going to fold out all the high cards. But what should you do now that you have top pair? And it's most likely going to remain top pair. If he's got ace, let's give him a really bad hand for you. Remember, you got the gutter ball covered. So let's say he's got ace seven. He's got three outs to uh, his overcard, right? So you're going to have the top pair 90% of the time, depending on what he has, right, on the river. Now, my buddy, my German friend, who is super smart, you know, one of these guys that just pisses you off, plays concert piano, speaks four languages, knows how to tango, great with the ladies, six-pack abs. The one thing I didn't like about his game is we'd be playing with putzes in the middle of nowhere, and he would bet half pot there because he had to stay balanced. And it's like, that's a great idea if you're playing iPoker 510, right? And I'll be perfectly honest with you guys. I made a bunch of money from poker. I never did it at high stakes cash. I never, I played 1020. I wasn't good at it. I played 2550 live. I wasn't good at it. But I made a lot more money than a lot of your heroes with a lot less talent with what I'm about to tell you. Which is, if you're playing with a putz, which is going to be 95% of the people you play with who literally do not make a cent from poker. Think of what kind of person does that. Plays poker day in, day out, does not make one red cent, still keeps playing. Think of that. That guy's not going to see subtlety. If you bet half pot, he's going to go, oh crap, better fold this high card. Which is not what you want. You want another bet. You bet four big blinds there, which is 40% of the pot. He calls. That's some of your guys' hourly. You're just pissing that away sometimes. It's got to stay balanced. I was going to bet 56% of the pot here to fold out high cards. It's like, yes, if you're playing the German kids that know this trick, well, you probably shouldn't have enacted the trick to begin with, but go ahead and follow through. They'll hero call you down. But that's not what you're dealing with. And guys across the world, Aaron, used to say, I have no idea how you make money at poker. It was the greatest compliment anybody had ever paid to me. Felt like Brad Gilbert with John McEnroe screaming, you're the effing worst. How do you make money? I had all these guys who were a hundred times smarter than me, and that was to their detriment. Because when you're smart, you think everybody else is smart. When you're a con artist, you think everybody's a con artist. When you're a good moral person, you think everybody else is a good moral person. That's not how the world works. Most of these guys, if you put a small bet out there, it's a five foot six guy with a hairy gut 
sticking out from his dockers, saying, let's fight, buddy, but let me take my glasses off first. And guess what? Most guys are not going to back down from that challenge, no matter how stupid it is, because men are men with weak egos, and every woman can attest to this. Most men have a very fragile ego, and if you test it the right way, they will pay you off every single time. To the point I have never put stock in a lot of this stuff, because there's theoretically what should happen. Like we discussed with the one-third pot-sized bats, right? And then there's what really happens. And you have to make sure, if you want to get really good at this, spend a lot of time talking, spend a lot of time talking to poker players. Spend a lot of time talking to poker players. And you'll hear how they really think. One of my favorite ones, I think Carlos Welch was telling me about this when he was doing some market research. Why would I buy a poker book if it's not going to tell me what comes on the flop? If you want to balance against that guy, be my guest. I don't think it's going to maximize your profit. Uh, and generally... Look, I think bluffing is one of the most, if you really want to make money from poker right now, I, I don't know what your goals are, Mr. LeMond, but you want to play, like, theoretically correct poker because you play 510, 10-25 a few times a year in Vegas, go get an Ed Miller book, right? If you're playing with you're Canadian. So let's say, I, I've been in the Montreal card room. As long as you're not playing, like, the highest stakes, this, you you got to play to the crowd. And a lot of guys in Montreal have a lot of money and they're goofing off, right? If you're playing one-two with the Orleans in Las Vegas, go with what works, right? And if you're playing online, you're playing, like, anonymous poker, or you're playing on a lottery site, if you're playing on any site, other than poker stars, as long as you're not playing higher than 2-4, uh, you're probably going to use this stuff. I don't know what you're playing, but my guess is I wouldn't have the business I have today if not 99% of the people that look for poker training were not playing less than 400 NL. I was playing 400 NL when I was making the most money I ever made from cash games, and it was one of the hardest jobs I ever did in my life. Every morning, adjusting things, trying to, I'll be honest with you, I was never perfect with these ranges. I would adjust every day. I'd study poker players. I'd look at their HUDs. I'd try to shift my ranges, right? I was never great with it. I was good enough to make money, but, like, what I work on most of the time is what we just Dude, talked about. Sorry, Alex. <laughs> You cut off there, you were saying good enough to make money, and then there was a pause. Okay. Barry just said I dropped out, and I have no idea where I was at in that tangent, so I'm going to say this very briefly. 99% of my clients want to play. They want to play games with players I don't think are winning players. If you're ever in a game where you're trying to make money from other winning players, I think nine times out of ten you're in a bad game. If you are at the point where you're so good you can beat other pros, you're going to have to do it at, your, at some point. 
because that's the only way you move up into it. I'll, I'll tell you, I've made, again, I've made money than more money than a lot of your heroes because I understood where I was in the poker food chain, and I know how to walk the dog. I know how to take money from bums. And 99% of my clients, that's what they want. They're playing in card rooms where nobody is a genius. Most people are not going to understand balance. And I'll tell you what men want to do. Men do not want to fold. Men take, when you, when you see a guy folding Barry, what does he look like? Does he look happy? No. <laughs> uh, like, it always looks like you punt, it looks like you told him his dog died. Right? That's how most men see folding, so you should bet thinly for value most of the time. That's it. Right? Yeah. You can the fit. Sorry, uh, on you go, Alex. I was going nah, to say. Nah, I, uh, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I've, I've been getting a lot of students like, it can't be this simple. And I'm like, I'll have you talk to 10 people who this is, you know, this is their career, this is their bread and butter. The biggest problem is you have to play a lot more poker than most people are comfortable with if you want to make this a profession. But if you're playing for fun, most of what you're going to do is trying to trick the other guy. And I think a lot of people know how to do that. It's just one of these things. I feel poker training overcomplicates things because, one, it's really fun to analyze high-stakes poker concepts if you're trying to get into the high stakes like many of these very driven poker trainers are doing. But in my opinion, that's a lot of stuff they should be doing. Like if they're going to get paid to do it, by all means, they should do it. But I, I don't think that's the most helpful for the student. I think that's why I get the kind of traction I get, the conversion rates I get, the reason people not, I've had like, 10 returns on my products in the last, like, five years, right, of all my products, right? Like, and I don't mean, like, 10 for each product. I mean, like, 10, period. And I'm pretty sure half those people were just stealing. They were just like, I didn't like the product. Give me my money back. I'm like, good. Don't let the door hit your ass on the way out, right? The reason for that is most people want what works, right? It's fun to come up with these theoretical constructs but if you're not James Ops playing high stakes, I, I, I think a lot of it is just chasing after the win. That's my that's – my, I talked to you like a friend there, Lapon. I, I don't feel like I gave you what you wanted, but I think that's what you need. Good luck to you. And I was just going to say from a sort of psychological thing, going on that again, what you've said, and my experience, if you bet – big for value what people are trying to you know do like you say they are going to fold because they're just seeing they look more of an idiot if they call a big bet and (laughs) you know there's there's big jeopardy so if you are betting for value you know 60 percent of the pot 70 percent of the pot then they've got a decision so they will fold what they were going to hero call your 20 30 percent of because they know that if they table that, or they just instamuck when you turn over second pair or something, or top pair, weak kicker, like you said, then the table's like, what? He called off seven of that big bet for, and he's just mucked his hand. Like, 
So that's it. It definitely comes into... And I think online, I mean, you'll obviously know better than me in terms of the field and statistics and stuff, but there's probably a lot more calling big bets for value online rather than live. Because, yeah, that's true. That you is. know, people can just, oh yeah, they can't see my face, you know, call, you know. Well, I got a question on Twitter. I'm just going to answer right now because it fits into this topic so neatly. And it was from another Canadian, Michael Cohen, I want to say was the one who wrote in. But he was saying, like, if you had to build a bankroll right now, Alex, what would you do? One, uh, ACR offers rate back. We have the link. And nobody else gives rate back anymore. They all think they're too damn good for you. Like, if they have, like, a really good player base, like a ton of tables, good software, they're not going to give you rate back anymore. So, like, I, I think it's really exciting, the Bitcoin thing, right? Because that's... Oh boy, that's going to change things, right? When governments can't get their hands on anything, uh, that's going to change things, and that's going to change gambling, right? ACR is already there with that, but what you do is you find a site with decently soft opponents, right? And you can find that with, like, 25 NL, 50 NL. Rakeback, like, Rakeback is that. And I would seriously just... Learned the way I made my bankroll constantly. When I went to play the European Poker Tour, I, I like I lost a bunch of money the first few months, and I just said okay. And I went to grind micro stakes for like weeks. I literally hold myself up in a Budapest apartment for a week. Didn't look at my cashier, and it's the most boring thing in the world. But what you do is you like thirty-two table with rake back. You raise enough to get heads up. You get heads up. If you raise big, the only guy who's going to call you at the table is the fish. Uh, you make sure you're playing the stakes that a lot of fish will play. And then on the flop, you bet something big enough that even the fish will fold a side. And, like, literally, they're not going to have a high card. On, like, the average amount of time people flop a pair or better is, like, 50% of the time, which means on all flops they do not have a pair of 50%. No pair nor draw, 50% or less of the time, right? So you can bet the size of the pot and break even if you think the guy's only folding high cards. Like the board comes king, uh, like the bull, the board comes like king seven four and he calls you with twos. You still clear a profit, right? Now obviously you can finesse this up a little bit, bet three fourths, bet two thirds, bet a half pot when you're in position, whatever it is, timing, things like that. And then once I got called, I would just bet, I just bet for value down three seats. That is it. That was it. That was the whole strategy. That was it. And nobody can believe the checks I brought in. And I, it was just what like Warren Buffett said. Like, you overcomplicate this. I'll tell you what people do. They lose for four hours. They lose for 16 hours. And they start panicking. They start doing other things, right? Are they, uh, the other thing that I, I would do is I wouldn't overplay my big hand. I wouldn't, like, I, all I played was six max, and I played 20-plus tables. By the way, not the easiest thing in the world. I consumed a lot of caffeine to do this. But, like, I wouldn't four-bet call-off queens for a pretty damn obvious reason. I didn't think they were five-betting jacks. That was it, right? I knew who would, and I'd four-bet call queens versus them, and that was it. And I wouldn't do it with ace-king, which at the time was in vogue, Right? But, like, I was okay with 
if a guy only four bet or folded, I would just flat ace came because I knew I couldn't five bet it all in. And that was pretty much my strategy, and I value bet so thinly it was annoying as hell, right? And I threw in a bluff in there once in a while, right? When it was just like, this guy has to have third pair on this river, and I'm pretty sure he's going to fold. Most of my bluffs were all-ins, because that's all anybody would fold to on the internet. I still, in a tournament, a lot of my triple barrel bluffs are all-ins, because the guy has to turn over his hand, right? And it's just like you said, Barry, people get really, oh my god, if they got to turn over the one pair they called off their tournament with, and everybody has to look around at that. Men don't like that. That hurts their ego. Think of fragile male egos. You will make a lot of money from poker, right? But that was it. The only problem, well, and the people would do this thing. They'd like, they start panicking, overplaying hands. The w- way they would always panic is they'd start double barreling more, right? They'd have like two hours where none of their C-bets work, and it was like, I guess nobody's folding to my C-bets, or everybody just had a hand for a couple hours. That's one of the things, right? They start double barreling all the time. Not realizing the central fact that most people fold their high cards on the flop, call with their pairs, and people do not like folding their pairs on the turn. That is a fact, right? He called second pair on the flop, even if an overcard came on the river. Nine times out of ten, you're going to hear this crap. Oh, let me call and reevaluate the river, right? But they would just barrel off like stack after stack after stack on the turn. And I, I, or they'd look at their cashier and they'd be down like three buy-ins. They'd be like, I've got to make those buy-ins back. And I'd say things like, why don't you not look at your cashier? Oh, I can't do that. Why not? I just can't. And I think humans just have a hard time trusting a simple system. Have you ever felt that, Barry? Yeah, they want to... They can't. They don't believe it can be this easy, or something. Or right. they, the human brain's like that, isn't it? They want to see other patterns that aren't there. They want to find out this. Awesome. And that. They want to tinker. And the boredom sets in for some people. Even making money can become boring for some people. And right. they want to go out and dabble and try and alter things. Right. And I. I mean, it doesn't really feel like money, right? Because money. Money, like, has come and gone with me since I was young to the point where I actually have a real problem, which is I'm not as greedy as I should be sometimes because no amount of money really gets me going, right? I'm sure there's a number. It's just been a while since I reached it, right? And when you're gambling, it just doesn't feel like anything. It's like, man, you know, it comes, it goes, or whatever, right? But... Nine guys out of ten who made a lot of money, everybody, everybody's always amazed. Uh, I, I, I don't want to say this guy's name because it'll feel like I'm, uh, I'm giving him a hard time. But there's always these pros that people go like, oh, my God, he's so basic. How does he make money? I'm like, that's why he puts himself in games where people aren't that good and he applies a basic strategy. Now, is this going to get you over the hill with tournaments? No. Like, tournaments require some finesse. That's why I love them. I think I have one of the best minds when it comes to adjusting during a tournament, like open field tournaments with le- a lot of recreational players, less than stellar players. I think I'm really good at that, right? Uh, that's why I like them. I, I think my endurance is sub 
uh, subpar is <laughs> superior, I was going to say. But, uh, like, if you want to make a couple of bucks, I, I think it's just a massively multi-tabling with rake back, and it's just getting it heads up, focusing on who's going to three-bet me. If you got a guy, if you got three guys to your left, they're always three-betting, just don't open, right? And then when you do get a good hand, open four-bet, get it in, right? And then, I mean, this it, as I'm telling it to you, Barry, it sounds fairly basic, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've always been an advocate of that, and people would say you're a net or whatever. I'm like, well, you don't need to be anything else in these games. Right. <laughs> like, Did you make money, money, Barry? Let's, a, let's ask a question. Did you make money? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you know? exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All my students make money, and then they come to me and they go, I'm the biggest net on earth. And I'm like, well, that's fine. I'll show you a couple what I call trick pitches, just like how to get a fold when you need a fold, right? But, and that'll take you places, right? But, like, it's a galaxy of difference between learning how to make a good living and living out of Vietnam. And, like, the thing I loved about the WPT Prague final table was just, like, God, every different guy was so hard to deal with, right? Each one had their little things, their sizings, their, their different ranges. And, like, that gets... That gets me going, right? That is something I love. That will put me in a place I love to be in, right? But the average guy is not like that. The average guy, I'm sorry to say this, like, if you wouldn't play poker for free just because you like jousting, you shouldn't be doing it at a higher level. And, I mean, you've even said this, Barry. That's why you quit, right? You realize, like, I don't have the hunger to do this at the higher level, right? It wasn't. It wasn't that. It was I didn't have the hunger to. I, I don't want to say you know because without blowing my own trumpet, I've always believed no matter what I set my mind to, I can do it and I'll get there in right. anything in life. And I mean, I I did that you know. And to be honest, I've coasted a lot of times and still achieved the best I could you know at university etc. My thing about poker is. I knew I didn't have, I didn't love it as much to put in the work ethic that guys like Aaron. you do. Right. You know, I wouldn't study the hand. You see the way Carlos lives and breathes it and wants to be doing the hand histories and stuff like that. I just want to go straight to the Bellagio and sit with a drink and play cards for about a bit of fun. You know, it's which is great, right? That's fine. <laughs> well, I think it's great now. I realise that, and I'm happy with that. I exactly. think the, un the unhappiness used to come in a conflict of why am I not getting here? Why am I not doing that? I'm not just... And I'm like, well, why should I when I know people that study ten times more than me? You know, when I was even playing for, you know, a few years, solid, like, multi-tabling, uh, 20 tables, 24 tables, and doing well and, like, grinding out a, you know, a living. That is what it was. A realistic living. You know, I was good enough for that, but I just knew to take it to the next level, I'm not going to put in the study required here. I'm just not going to do it. It's not for me. I don't enjoy it as much as I enjoy playing cards. I enjoy playing tournaments. I enjoy playing cash, but I don't enjoy sitting, you know, I'll maybe do it for 20 minutes, but I'm not going to put in enough study consistently. 
And then I couldn't be that bitch that doesn't do that and then moans about how unlucky he is. I just wasn't willing to do that, you know? Yes. No, and I appreciate that about you, which is, like, look, you got to understand who you are. And most of our listeners play recreationally. And, like, if somebody wrote in, like, I won the WSP main event with your ideas, uh, it would be, like, the happiest day of my life. Like, I, I wouldn't be jealous at all, but I'd be like, please do not play every 10K now, right? Yeah. If that's not who you are, that's not who you are. And I, I would play for free. I literally would play for free. I, it was my day off the other day, and I was reading Matthew John, and honestly, it didn't feel like work. I've read that book before, multiple times before. I was reading it again, right? That's what I love to do. And, but I mean, like, to, to put it in context, it worked out pretty well for me, uh, Mostly because I think I diversified much earlier than most poker players did. And I think you can see a lot of them, like, running around now because they realize, you know, a tournament win doesn't last that long. You're not going to retire off of – you think about how many, like, footballers, Barry, make a couple mil a year. and they get, That sounds like a lot of money, but after, like, 50% taxes in a 10-year career and they have to live off that the rest of their life, they're broke at 55. That's a pretty understandable thing, yeah. right? I mean, constantly in the UK, um, I can't remember the guy off the top of my head, but the amount of uh, footballers that have went bankrupt in the UK, um, some of them just a couple of years after uh, yeah. or getting injured, and, I mean, obviously it's an extreme scenario, but Mike Tyson, you know, billion. <laughs> you know, yeah. amount of uh, NFL players and whatever as well I've read, you know. Right, and, uh, I mean, that's the thing, and I, I sympathize because, like, everybody goes, oh, my God, you know, he made one million a year for 12 years. And I'm like, okay, that's 12 million, half went to taxes, that's 6 million. He retired when he was 34, he's probably going to die at 85. Do you think $6 million is going to last 50 years? Do you really think that he needs something else on the side? And I realized that a lot of guys didn't have anything on the side, so I started at it. I was terrible at it. I didn't know how to do it at the beginning. Then I got to the point where I felt like I can coach better than anybody. I can teach better than anybody. When it comes to the type of tournaments, I know my demographic. And when it comes to the tournaments that most people play, I think I can teach you how to get in the winner's circle better than Pretty much anybody. It's like me, Jonathan Little, and a few other guys, right? And I'm really proud of that fact to be diversified. And I can't wait now that I have this other thing to go back and study poker more and to go into high stakes poker more. But this is, you got to look at this like I've been playing poker or thinking about poker every single day since I was 15 years old. I am 30 years old now. I am 15. That is 15 years of poker every single day. Even when I was a fisherman, I played on the boat, right? Even when I was a security guard, on my breaks, I was playing cards, studying cards, all that. My girlfriend's a personal trainer. My girlfriend, as a personal trainer in Manhattan, could be out earning me in a year, two years, right? I know so many personal trainers that, after a couple years at the job, could possibly out earn me, right? And that's the deal. If you want to make money from this game, this, I, if, there are so many better ways. I, when I was buying the furniture for... This apartment, I, I bet the guy, that guy, Muhammad, probably makes more money than I do a year. Bar none, right? What does he do? He sells furniture, right? He's good at it. He's a personable guy. I'm sure he knows where to order. And that's it. 
if you want money, you can make a small amount of money really with no credentials in poker. And that's really good. That's really good if you're going to currency leverage and all that. And I think it's really awesome that there's a way to play profitable poker. Everyone listening right now can play profitable poker. I think that is so cool. Because if you wanted to make money at chess, give yourself 20 years, then maybe. Right? Poker, you listen to the right things, read the right things. And I'm really specific about that. Because you can read a lot of crap. Right? Or just stuff that's not fit for you. And then you're not going to be going anywhere with it. Right? Or you're going to be misapplying it. This was something Carlos was even telling me. that He was like, I watch all these high-stakes crushers, right, talk about perfecting this and that and getting equal with game theory optimal ranges, and then I'm playing against bombs, right? They don't get any of that. And it's like, well, you know, GTO play is awesome if you're, like, 20-tabling MTTs on poker stars, but you're playing bombs, which you should be doing. Are you playing cards like Barry? Uh, or if you're playing cards like Barry when you travel, play some effing cards, man. The big bet, a lot of the time, is just going to spook them, right? The small bet, they're going to call it too much. And have some fun with it. And I think that's... Putting a bow on all of this, I'm getting really... I, I don't know how I became this guy, but it's like... But <laughs> I've worn you down. You've worn me down. <laughs> Barry, Barry, I just... Uh, I, I don't... I, how to put this? I think this was another question about balancing, wasn't it? This was another question about GTO, right? No, the one from Adam Lafar was about oh, Yeah, yeah, it was another yeah. GTO question. It was another balance question, right? Yeah, I didn't say GTO, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we know that upsets you now. Yeah, I mean, how many, how, how many videos are there on YouTube about GTO? How many articles are there about GTO? How many books are there about GTO? There's one I've bookmarked to watch. I think it's by that Charlie Carroll. I think he says, um, I can't remember the headline of it. It was something like, fuck GTO or why GTO is... Hey, I like it. No, And he was saying that for a year. (laughs) So I don't don't know what the the theme is of it, if it's being... But I will need to check it out because it was getting shared quite a bit. It's like... Splitzer does it really well. I love it. He, he, he has a, a guest appearance by GTO Snob, where he'll explain the GTO behind something that will go like, okay, in practice I do that, and I love that, right? It, this cartoon figure comes out of, like, this really snooty guy from the 1800s, right? And But, I mean, here's the thing, like, I just, I, I'm going to keep screaming about it, you guys want to make money, right? That's the whole thing. You don't have all the time in the world to make money. If you did, you'd probably already be making money from poker because Barry did have all the time in the world to play poker, and he played a simple style, and he made money, 
right? Yep. And if you don't have that much time, play for the hell of it with money you can afford to lose. Don't expect to get it back and try to smash these people. I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you one thing. Like, when I'm playing against, like, good players, like, when I go out, I'm playing a couple of WBTs, my three bet will be a very balanced 9%, right? It'll be about 67% value, 33% bluffs, polarized, da-da-da-da-da, right? If I'm playing a bunch of bums, uh, like, there'll be times I sit in the ACR table and I, like, I don't know anybody and nobody plays like they know anything after a couple of orbits. I'll three bet 16% of the hands. Is that exploitable? Absolutely. Do I care? No, not if anybody's going to exploit me. Do you think Do you think Doyle Brunson ever thought about balancing? That guy owns half of Montana, right? That's it. If he can bust a guy, he bust a guy. I'll three bet you all day if you're never going to four bet me. You're just going to call. And never play back at me post-flop. If you're going to let me dictate tempo and dictate pot size, I'll take that every time. You can take ace-king off suit. I'll take 6-4 suiting. We'll go with it. All right? And it's a game of rock, paper, scissors. There's optimal rock, paper, scissors. But let's put it this way. All right? There's optimal rock, paper, scissors. There's game theory optimal rock, paper, scissors. You just randomize rock, paper, scissors. There's a rock, paper, scissors championship. Do you think the winner every year are the guy who goes up there all the time? Do you think he's playing GTO optimal? No. He's watching the other people and going, oh, they favor this on the third one, right? Here's the other thing about GTO. If GTO was such a big thing, why doesn't it pop up more in sport, right? Multi-billion dollar industries. Baseball. Baseball is all a guessing game, right? That's all it is. The hitter has like 0.2 seconds to decide whether he's going to swing at a pitch or not, right? If GTO was really the be-all, end-all, why would the Houston Astros have hired a 40-year-old slugger to look for pitchers tipping their pitches? And that decided the entire... World Series, and one of the richest sports on earth. Why is that what they emphasize? Why did they throw a 41-year-old guy that much money? Tell me that. That's a... What else you got for me, Barry? One of the best uh, resources people can do to make money, and if that's what you want to do... And you're right. I think most of our listeners are people who are wanting to make money in poker, build a bankroll, etc. Going on the questions that we get in over the last few years, it's similar people from, similar questions rather, from different people at different stages in the game. And I think the best thing that people could do is just listen back to the last, you know, 192 episodes if you've us. And maybe for the first 20 minutes and avoid the 9-11 and uh, existential crisis. Skip the entire year I was getting divorced, guys. Anyway, sorry, continue, Barry. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I know people can like why I genuinely back in This is how much I think from my experience of playing in Vegas this year. I'm playing there six years previously. I'm playing there two years actually. I was there again. It's all the same. I swear down. I played that Lazio one two game. I played two five and I can't remember some of the places, you know, some of the pieces and that there. The game played honestly the same. The same field was the same as the there was a woman there who, I think it was genuinely a first or second night playing poker, who was getting lucky hit and everything. She checked and not flushed to me when I, I <laughs> checked the river. I checked the river. Checked the nuts on the river. I turned my hand over. And she's sitting with $900 in front of her. Don't tell me games aren't there. The, these games exist daily in Vegas. Okay, Alex. Anyway, that's all I've got to say on it. It doesn't annoy me as much GTO, but, you know, uh, I'm going to try and tell people to limit. Or if they do email in, I'm going to leave it a little while, let you cool down. But um, <laughs> if there's else to say on it on this episode, if you can succinctly wrap it up and we will take it to the uh, end credits and then fade to black. So over to you. Look, look guys, I... These are the final notes I want to give you, okay? If all of this GTO stuff was really going to improve your game, I've been hearing nothing but GTO talk in training videos for five years. All the questions I get are about, on the show, you can hear my agitation now because it's been just nonstop fashionable GTO talk. Like, by the way, he had a very good question, Mr. LePon, but it fell into this category, which unfortunately I hear a lot of. And let me put it this way. You've been hearing about this for five years. If this GTO stuff was really going to do something for your game, don't you think it would have done that by now? Matthew Jonda is smarter than you and I together ever will be. That's just, I love listening to that man talk about poker. I think it's sad we're losing him from the game, but I think it's so much better that he's working in medicine. He'll do, he'll be such a contribution to the earth. But here's something. Matthew John, like, to get my GTO credentials, which I'll, I'll be honest with you, like, I snoozed through the class and, like, barely graduated the test. Uh, it was one of those things I do have to talk about, right? Matthew John, who is the best at this stuff, the best. If you don't believe me, just read what he wrote in Applications of Nolan and Oldham, I think, like, seven years ago, if you don't bo- believe me. Like, how good his GTO credentials are. How, how balanced everything is, right? How good his ranges are. Matthew Jonda, in the last few videos he was doing for Cardinals, even admitted, I don't really balance when I play. He said, I play live. I think he said, I play live or I play on anonymous sites. I know for a fact he said, I play on anonymous sites where nobody knows who I am. And if it's just... If I think it's going to work, I'll just use it, right? And if I think it's not going to work, I'll just not do it. And this is the guy who knows GTO better than you ever will. And he's saying, like, 
I, I don't use it when they don't know who I am. 99% of you guys play games where nobody knows who you are. I'll, t- I'll tell you one thing. I have been on television on Sky Sports. Uh, I've had multiple EPT runs where I've been on television, like three or four. I believe I was, they, when they played the EPTs in the States, I was on the Bahamas coverage. I, in Latin America, they covered me. I saw me come up in the San Remo episodes, the Bahamas episodes. Uh, in Italy, I came up all the time. Germany, I saw it. Nobody knows who the hell I am when I sit at the table. What do you think they, they're thinking of you? They're going to look at you and make a snap judgment. I know what snap judgments people make of me because of being a 30-year-old male. I know that. And they're going to make snap judgments on you based on your screen name, based on your ethnicity, based on your height, based on your physical composition. That's what you should be focusing on. And again, guys, I want you to know, I have the greatest job in the world because I love the pressure of nobody's going to buy anything from me again if what I sell doesn't work. So if I do a really good job, everybody buys my products, I make lots of money, I'm really happy, I ride off into the sunset to listen to my weird metal CDs and watch baseball. If nothing, if what I say doesn't work, I get fired. That's it. And I'm telling you, when I teach the GTO stuff, it doesn't work. It does not work. My students do not win with that. It's really fun to wax poetic when you get interviewed and to sound intelligent, but if I have to get a guy into the winner's circle, it's not going to work. What does work is what I teach you guys, which is if the guy's going to call you out of position with crap hand, three-bet him. If he calls when you see-bet half-pot too much uh, on the river, then value-bet a little thinner. If the guy's going to crap himself to a big bet, bet bigger. And a lot of people want to make it more complicated because they want to pretend that poker is chess, and it's just not. Chess is knowledge. Poker is wisdom. We'll leave it at that. Okay. Now, Alex, I want you to go and have a nice lie down in a a cold shower and, you know, your favorite coffee that you're drinking just now. (laughs) (laughs) Stop annoying my friend, people. (laughs) (laughs) remember that like one month span where just I decided if anybody asked me a question I didn't like I just destroyed them on this podcast we might go back to that a few times in in the future no I'm just kidding I'm not going to do that to you guys again I still it's still amazing we get so many questions for every episode right Barry yeah it amazes me you know (laughs) that anyone listens to your sound engineering or my nasally drone anyway I guess we should finish this that's it yeah I'm sitting there like Dre with a broken laptop and a free freeware uh, sound editing thing (laughs) (laughs) I got two tape decks going here Uh, okay Alex uh, how can people get in touch with you for anything that's not GTO related (laughs) If you guys, 
If you guys want to sign up for my newsletter where you can get free podcasts, videos, articles, every other day, every day, uh, go to PokerHeadRush.com to go to the top right. That's my old blog. It's nothing to look at, but what you do want to do is go to the sign-up function and just sign up there at the top right. And then make sure Alex at PokerHeadRush.com is in your contacts in your email list, and then you'll just get, it'll be like having me coach you every single day. Uh, Or not every single day. Reread things, then it'll be every single day. You should, like Barry said, go back to the early stuff. And if you want to write me about just any questions you got, write me at alexandpokerandrush.com. Usually I get back to people pretty quickly during the work week. I do try to take actual weekends so I can get new ideas, relax, all that stuff. Uh, Follow my classic training videos, new training videos. They're all new, but they're done in the classic fashion of hand history reviews and live sessions. I got a new live session going up. You can check all of that out at Tournament Poker Edge. Play with me on americascardroom.com. And how to think like a poker player is still inexplicably on sale because the people I'm working with were taking time that I did not expect. So if you want to pick that up, Go ahead and do that. It's still on sale. It's going to be 200 here one of these days. You can look at gumroad.com slash assassinato to see all my products. And you can see that normally there are a few hundred bucks. But that one's 80 right now. And if you don't have a pot to piss in, check out all my free YouTube videos at youtube.com slash assassinato coaching. Or you can just look in the search bar assassinato coaching. Or check out the free video that Barry is so nicely going to attach to this post. Okay, and I'm calling it now. I'm going to make a prediction here. I predict within six months, Alex is going to have an A to Z of GTO poker webinar. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm joking. What you should do, Alex, is you should do GPO. Uh, I'm giving you this now for free. This is just for me. Uh, Game practical. Uh, That's that's what you want. Oh, my God, he's a genius. Run to the presses. Yeah. Yeah. Game practical optimal. That's what you want to do. And like your own style, like you say, profitable poker. That's what we are champions of here. Oh, yeah. Dot com. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. Let's do that. We'll do it. Or we'll have a vote. If you want Alex to do a two-hour special on GTO, the full ins and outs, then email in and let us know that. Or if you want him to do a special on practical things that you can do A to Z, uh, to make money if you were going out to any game, any live game or online, things that you can do. Although, that, to be fair, that's what he's done for 192 episodes. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Okay, this is a non-GPO zone. Non-GPO zone, officially now. Um, okay, Alex, uh, I think that's, we're probably past the GTO time length of this. Um, hey, hey, one last thing. If you guys really want to get the full value out of this episode, write in with the goofy places you're playing live and the goofy stuff you see in that card room and see if I can come up with a counter strategy and then write back in and tell me if it works or not. That's what I do in my private lessons, and it's very fun to hear what's happening in, like, Buffalo or just weird places like Croatia and stuff like that, Iran. And I love... It's something I love. I send my counter strategies out in the atmosphere, and I get to hear if they work or not. If you guys really want to use me, 
use me like that and you don't have to spend 200 bucks an hour to help me get you over your 1-2 game. You don't have to pay me a buy-in to do that. If, if you guys really want to use this service, well, all right, Barry, play us off. Okay. Thanks to everyone who took the time to send in questions, however offensive Alex found them. And uh, <laughs> do keep writing in. It's your show as well. It really is. Like, There's no show without the questions coming in. It's just me and Alex talking about 9-11 conspiracies otherwise. Um, and that's a different show. So do keep your questions coming in. Questions at com. We do have a ton in just now. As Alex says, genuinely, I do get surprised. Thanks very much for keeping them coming in. And thanks to all the regular people who always share it and post it and like it, especially our good friend Dennis Peterson. He always, I always see him first to share it and stuff when it's on. Thanks for listening. Keep your questions coming in. We'll see you next Thursday. Cheers. Cheers. The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu.